Well, welcome to another episode of the Grazing Sheep Podcast. I'm your host, Big Tom Perkins, along with Dr. Cameron Byerly. And today we got with us uh, Dr. Andrew Weaver. And uh, just wondering what we're talking about today there, Cameron. Yes, yeah, so we've had Dr. Weaver on here previously for an episode. And uh, for the second season of the podcast, we were hoping to dive a little deeper into some more scientific topics. Uh, we've talked a lot about estimated breeding values and uh, certainly wanted to get some some opinions outside of just you and I, Tom. Uh, and so asked Dr. Weaver if we could do some kind of a short series and a quick series on uh, EBVs, estimated breeding values, specific traits. And so today we're just going to have kind of an introductory what EBVs are, how we can use them. Uh, how they compare maybe to some other livestock species and and just the using them as a genetic tool, what our best approach is uh, long term. So, yeah, again, Andrew, thanks for being on here with us. And uh, just your generalized opinion on EBVs and potential you see for the sheep industry and producers uh, to utilize them. Yeah, thanks again for having me on here and uh, always look forward to the discussions we have. Uh, so EBVs are a, a great tool um, that we can utilize in our selection programs. Um, and you often hear, um, many of you may have heard me talk about them before or others. And, um, you know, why are, why are they so unique? Why are they so valuable? Um, and it really comes down to isolating uh, that, you know, genetic component of a trait uh, from the, the environmental component. Because um, as we know, the, the phenotype that we observe in an individual. So what, whether it's a, a measurable trait like their weaning weight um, or the number of lambs they have born uh, or their parasite resistance or just their visual appeal. Um, what we see, what we observe, that phenotype is a result of the genetics that that individual has um, in addition to the environment that they've been exposed to. So a portion of what we see um, is contributed by genetics and a portion is contributed by environment. And actually for most of our traits, uh, the majority of that is contributed by the environment. And so uh, we need to be able to isolate out the genetic component uh, and be able to determine, um, you know, what, what component of that trait was truly genetic, what, what component, what portion of that trait uh, can actually be selected for, can be passed from generation to generation uh, versus what maybe is just an environmental or a management thing. Uh, because remember, the environment's going to change. Even on our own farm, the environment's going to change year to year. Uh, and so if we're, if we're not careful... Uh, we may be selecting for an environment that's not going to stay constant. Um, rather, we really need to focus on the genetic component because that genetic component can be passed on to the next generation. I can go to your farm uh, and find a ram with those, those genetics that I'm looking for and bring them back to my farm, uh, and the DNA is the same. And so uh, being able to accurately identify you know, and quantify genetic merit uh, can have a lot of value. Yeah, so when you're talking environment, uh, it's not necessarily just temperature, uh, uh, if it's raining or not, or if we have a, a heavy snow load in the wintertime for that specific location. It, it's more management system, correct? Correct. It's all of those those external things. So it's it's your nutrition program, uh, your grazing system. Um, uh, you know, the the whether they're housed in a barn, whether they're housed on pasture, um, all of those things. Um, contribute to that environment that we're exposing those animals to, that we're asking those animals to perform in. Um, and our environments change greatly, uh, not just in geographic region, 
Um, but just in terms of, of our management system, I um, mean, here in North Carolina, we've got grass-based producers um, raising Katahdin sheep um, and doing it relatively low inputs. We've also got folks raising Katahdins in old retired poultry houses where they're inside pretty much all year long um, and being, you know, the feeds being delivered to them on a daily basis. So again, same breed of sheep, um, but vastly different environments. And those sheep, um, you know, maybe we can't compare those individuals fairly um, because they're just exposed to, you know, such different management systems. So in other livestock species, you know, we've heard the term EPD, uh, estimated progeny differences, and in sheep, we have EPVs. Can you explain a little bit kind of the difference in there and, and why we use uh, different verbiage to describe both of those things? Yeah, so if any of you are familiar with cattle, um, you're probably familiar with the term uh, EPD, expected progeny difference. And essentially that's showing uh, the potential genetic merit of the offspring of an individual. So what are they going to pass on? Um, an individual passes half of their genetic merit onto their offspring. So an EPD is gonna give us some sense on offspring progeny performance. Uh, where an EBV, an estimated breeding value, uh, indicates the genetic merit of that individual itself. Uh, so that's gonna tell us, um, you know, that individual you or that individual ram, that is their genetic merit. Um, and then if we wanted to, to calculate or predict what they would pass to their offspring, we simply divide the EBV by two. So remember, you know, half of genetic merit is passed to the offspring. So if you take an EBV, so if you say the EBV is uh, five pounds, then the EPD would be two and a half pounds because uh, they're going to pass half that to that next generation. So it's just simply um, uh, differences between the cattle industry and the sheep industry and, and the, the way they've chosen to express those traits. Um, they really... Uh, you can interpret them, you can utilize them in very similar ways, um, just slight differences in what they they actually define. So when we're thinking about potential, you know, EBVs have been around for a little while now at this point. Um, it was something that that I wasn't necessarily exposed to growing up, you know, with sheep, Um you know, what do you think, where do you think the value is for uh, the commercial producer and uh, how do we get individuals to understand and, and know more about it and then use them on their, on their farm and maybe how should they be using them on their farm? Yeah, so EBVs can be a really powerful selection tool um, for not only the seed stock producer, but also for the commercial producer. Um, and like I said, they, they indicate genetic merit. So um, that said, we can go out and make ram purchasing decisions, selection decisions, breeding decisions much more accurately uh, using that tool versus just phenotype alone. Uh, and so if you're a seed stock producer, obviously it makes sense to use these breeding values. Um, you're trying to raise genetically elite seed stock um, to pass on elite traits um, onto you know, your commercial customers. Um, but if you're a commercial producer, that's where I see a lot of value in these and that you can buy in rams that have genetic merit, uh, elite genetic merit for those traits that you see valuable uh, in your commercial operation. And that could vary, you know, operation to operation. Um, and we, if we keep in mind that the, the idea that after just four generations, over 90% of the genetics in a flock will be the result of sire decisions. And so in the sheep business, uh, four generations doesn't take that long. Uh, so if you're buying rams and retaining replacements, in a relatively short time period, 
Uh, you can make substantial genetic progress uh, simply by going out and buying rams with um, high quality genetics based on EBVs uh, for the traits that you're interested in. Uh, so you can kind of think about it in the, in the sense that um, if you go out and buy rams that are enrolled in an SIP that have estimated breeding values, uh, if you do that for you know four plus generations, uh, over 90% of the genetics that you're observing that you have in your flock will be a representation of those NSIP uh, genetics, those, those RAMs with you know, those high quality EBVs that you went out and purchased and you utilized in your selection program. So you, in just four generations, you have over 90% of the genetics in your flock representing NSIP genetics and you've never been enrolled in the program. Uh, you've simply gone out and identified seed stock producers with those elite genetics, purchased those RAMs and utilized those in your flock. So they can have tremendous value uh, from that standpoint. That's exactly what we did here, Andrew. It was, uh, it's been amazing. You know, we're enrolled in NSIP and uh, I thought it would be a much steeper hill to climb. Um, but just bringing in those rams with the EBVs that we were looking for, it's uh, it's amazing when I started to get my numbers back this year and you start looking at, at how much parasite resistance has improved, how much the post weaning weights have improved. Uh, the uh, number of lambs born, number of lambs weaned, just paying attention to those and, and trying to bring rams in that would uh, that would benefit in that way with those EBVs. It's, it truly is amazing how quickly it, it seems to come on. I know in the cattle industry, people spend years and never get there. Yeah, I think that's a real advantage with our small ruminants and that, that, that turnover, that generation interval is so much shorter. Um, you know, in cattle, you're waiting two years before you ever get, you know, a first calf. And then um, it just takes a while to, to, you know, prove those animals and to turn over those genetics. Um, you have two years to get a calf, and then it's another two years before that calf has a calf. Uh, in the sheep business, um, you know, that, those genetics turn over a lot faster with a shorter generation interval. Um, and so um, you put these tools to use and, and really see a benefit um, in maybe a shorter time period than what you might in the cattle business. Yep. And I think that was the the point we were trying to make there a couple episodes ago on on ram selection. What we're looking for is, you know, it makes up a significant portion of those genetics long term. And I was curious here, Tom, while while Andrew was talking, uh, you know, about finding out or learning about EBVs and utilizing them uh, as someone who is, you know, a commercial producer. Um, you know, how did you find out about NSIP and EBVs? And I guess what advantage did you see in it and, and made you want to uh, at least use sheep with EBVs and then take the step further and collect, you know, those phenotypes, those performance data points uh, and enroll your flock in their, their uh, from Bell PA? Yeah, I guess when... Uh... When I first bought my sheep, I bought registered Katahdins, and then they were transferred into my name um, as, as ownership. And then I got uh, from KHSI, the you know, I became a member of KHSI, the Katahdin Association. And, um, you know, they sent out this, uh, like, welcome package. And then there was uh, a book that, that uh, or a magazine or whatever that uh, – talked about EBVs and a little bit and uh, just some of the things that you should be collecting data on. And as being, you know, a first time shepherd, I just kind of 
devoured all the information I could. And uh, as we went along and kind of used some really subpar rams, right away I could see there was just this difference in these in these lambs. These lambs just weren't thriving. They just weren't doing well. And in talking to a few people, they said, you know, you, you need to start looking at some of these NSIP sales and try to bring in some 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 better rams with better EBVs. And uh, I don't even remember where I learned about NSIP, uh, but I started setting in on the NSIP monthly uh, meeting calls through Zoom and so on, and um, and just kind of just was the fly on the wall, just listening to people talk and trying to trying to gather this information and trying to learn as much as I could about it. Um, and when we bought our first, uh, our first NSIP Ram, we already had a, a Ram that we had bought from a show flock that had never been in NSIP and started to collect that data, submit that data. And when we got that data back, there were two Rams that we were using. One we named Tim and the other we named Brad. And Brad had been in NSIP and Tim was in a show flock. And immediately when I got that data back, you could see a huge difference between that, that Tim Ram and that Brad Ram. And I was convinced at that point that that was, that was definitely the way to go to stay in NSIP, keep collecting that data, keep bringing in uh, Rams that would help improve the EBVs that I was most interested in. It was it was night and day. It, it's shocking. I, I still have ewes that uh, throw lambs that just do nothing as far as parasite resistance go and don't have much for any kind of weight gains. And you go back and you look and you're like, yep, those are Tim daughters. You know, those are, are in the Tim line. And, um, you know, those sheep do fine in my, you know, in my environment, the way I graze and so on. I don't have, you know, I'm not worming them all the time. Uh, very seldom I worm anything, but you, you know, like I say, you, you can see it. It's night and day. The, uh, the, the thing that that Tim Ram did do just being a typically was I just wanted straighter legs in my sheep. And that made a huge difference. Yeah. And so do you think those sheep, just collecting, you know, normal production records. Do you feel that you would be able to identify those sheep with your normal um, number born, number wean, weaning weights that you should be taking um, in just a commercial production aspect? Uh, do you think you'd be able to identify those, uh, what you're calling Tim sheep, compared to uh, the use out of the improved NSIP RAM that you purchased? I think you could, but I think it would take you years and years to be able to see it. Um, I think you'd have to be somewhat of a mathematical wizard to sit down and be able to calculate that all out yourself. I think that's the the biggest advantage for me with NSIP is I don't have to calculate this. I can collect that data, send it in, and I get a report back. Yeah, somebody else is doing the calculation. Yep. And then it's it's up to you to decipher yeah, my understanding is supposed to be this um, computer in Australia that, that calculates all this. Right. Yeah. And that's, you know, for me, the real exposure to NSIP didn't come until grad school. Um, 
And I'm of the opinion you you shouldn't have to go to grad school to um, to learn about EBVs. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of. No, I didn't even like high school. Right. And and that's I, through extension. I know Dr. Weaver's, you know, really pushing it down in North Carolina. And and what's been cool to sit on the fence and watch is you've got producers down there that have truly bought in uh, to the concept, to the idea, and have then taken and invested in those genetics, which is exciting because you know it's going to work. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, dollars that are worth the investment. Um, I I know, like, coming from the club lamb industry, there's a lot of sheep that people spend a lot of money on that they never produce what is intended um, or what you would hope. Now, and that being said, there's a lot of rams that people spend a lot of money on and they uh, hit those goals and achieve what they thought they would and, and maybe more so. Um, but it's a, it's kind of a mixed bag that you're, you're grabbing into. Um, so I am curious, you know, brought up kind of what you're doing in North Carolina there, Andrew. And um, when you're thinking about producer education and getting new people involved in, in NSIP in terms of even commercial producers buying those rams, which I think is underutilized and we need more uh, more producers to do just that. Uh, do you have any success stories or, or areas that you've seen producers kind of accelerate their uh, their genetics, their flock to improve performance or has, it, has there not been enough time to really evaluate that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I've only been down here for about three years. So, um, you know, maybe not you know, a tremendous amount of time to see, you know, advancements, um, you know, significant advancements in genetic progress as a result of that. Um, but there has been a fair amount of interest. Um, and I, I, I'm encouraged um, just that folks are interested and in, in looking for rams with EBVs. Um, and, you know, not even, um, I don't, you know, want to promote our own uh, flock or anything like that, but, you know, interest in just buying sheep out of the, the, like the Eastern Alliance uh, sale here a couple weeks ago and last summer um, and other uh, NSIP sheep and other sales around the country from other breeders um, in NSIP. Um, you know, it, it's been encouraging to me to see a, a number of North Carolina producers go out and, and reach out to Katahdin seed stock producers um, around the Southeast and purchase genetics uh, that are backed by EBVs. Um, that, you know, have, you know, genetic merit for those traits that, um, you know, they see valuable in their operations. And so um, we'll see as time goes on and we continue to, to quantify uh, these traits and, and measure performance and, and what kind of improvements can be made. But, um, you know, I think there's certainly been an investment in SIP genetics um, in this part of the country, which is um, something to, to be pretty excited about, I think. Um, and I think, too, um, you know, just the in terms of from a scientific standpoint, um, you know, it the the validation work that's been underway. Um, you know, we know these EBVs work um, from a mathematical standpoint. We know they work, um, but sometimes a bunch of statistics. Um, it was hard to to show folks on a piece of paper and say that, uh, yep, they you know because all of this math is the way that it is. Um, you know, these EBVs work um, rather. Um, when you can actually, you know, take a group of rams that are maybe um, extreme in different directions for a given trait um, and breed them to a group of ewes and actually show people, um, 
know, how those, those lambs perform and that they do match um, what is predicted by their, their sire uh, breeding values, I think that has a lot of merit and a lot of worth. Um, a shout out to the, the Leading Edge Project, um, which, which concluded a few years ago now. Um, you know, I commend all the individuals that were a part of that, that organized it and, uh, you know, carried out that project and, and what's come of that. Um, that did an excellent job of illustrating uh, the power of, of breeding values, especially those, those, for those traits uh, such as growth and muscle um, and the value that that might have in, in Western range production systems. Uh, but we know that, you know, it's the same math uh, calculating those EBVs as calculating our growth and muscle EBVs for Katahdins or any other breed. Um, and so, um, you know, as a result of that project, we have some great data to show, um, to illustrate, you know, the impact and the value that EBVs can have and, and um, you know, validate their effectiveness in breeding programs uh, from that standpoint. And then uh, we've done some work at, at West Virginia um, a couple years ago, um, looking at the peak lake count breeding value. Um, and again, we saw, you know, consistency in terms of sire EBVs and, um, you know, uh, being able to accurately predict, um, you know, the, the trends in those progeny, uh, whether it be, you know, high fecal egg count or low fecal egg count. And so uh, we have, there's lots of data out there um, and, and there's more coming, I think, uh, on the sheep side of things. Um, if we look into to other species on the beef cattle side of things, that work's been done as well. Um, and so if, if you have any doubt uh, in terms of the validity of these breeding values, uh, I encourage you to reach out to, to one of us, um, you know, maybe look up some of these studies that have been done um, I'm happy to, to discuss in more detail with you. Um, you know, give me a call, shoot me an email. Um, I, I, these breeding values are, you know, a valid selection tool. Um, you know, there's a lot of math that goes into their calculation. Um, a lot of different components there that, that may not be the easiest to understand. Um, but if you just trust um, in, in those statistical models and, and the, the value and the meaning of those EBVs, um, and utilize them, um, we know that they're going to have, you know, they're going to work, um, whether you're selecting for something in a positive direction or negative direction. So, Dr. Weaver, I'm curious, you know, we've talked a lot about what EBVs can do. Uh, is there anything they can't do, or uh, in your opinion, just some of their limitations? Yes, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, there's a lot oftentimes concern, you know, if I breed just for, for EBVs, um, am I going to end up with sheep that phenotypically aren't appealing, aren't, aren't, aren't visually uh, an animal that I would like to look at? Um, and I think you can find sheep that have those good breeding values that also are visually appealing. Um, you know, just because you select for one doesn't mean that you lose the other. Um, but at the same time, if we're not cognizant to those breeding values, pay attention to those and select uh, for those, you know, genetic traits, um, a genetic component of those traits, I should say. Um, you know, that's, we're not really not going to see genetic progress unless we do that. Um, so we need to select for those EBVs and utilize those EBVs effectively. Um, but at the same time, we can still monitor um, those phenotypic traits, um, those visual appeal type traits that, that we may put more or less focus on um, and try to find sheep that are still eye appealing, but have good EBVs as well. Um, it's really up to personal preference on, on the weight that you place on those different things. Some folks obviously are going to weight, you know, visual appeal a little bit more than the EBVs. Others might put a lot of emphasis on EBVs with very little attention uh, to visual appeal. And it really just depends, or some people might try to balance between the two. Um, and that's really up for, for you as an individual producer to decide um, and, and, you know, take your flock in the direction that you want to take it. 
Um, and we have, we're going to talk on, and it sounds like in subsequent episodes, we're going to talk about some of the individual traits that are available with EBVs. Uh, but we also need to be cognizant that we don't have an EBV for every single trait out there. Um, and so, you know, traits like aseasonality, um, we don't have an EBV that tells us that ewe is going to breed out of season. Uh, we don't have an EBV that tells us about feet and leg structure. We don't have an EBV that tells us about mouth structure. Uh, we don't have an EBV for feed efficiency. So, you know, feed costs are the, the largest component of our, our input costs um, every year. Um, and yet we don't have an EBV that tells us which sheep convert better than others. Uh, and so there are still, you know, traits out there that have economic relevance that we do not have an EBV for. So um, we may need to pay attention to some of those other things as well, in addition to utilizing the EBVs for the traits that we do have available to us. Um, so it is, it's a bit of a balancing act. Um, and really, we like to say, you know, optimize, uh, maybe rather than maximize, um, you know, find what's optimal for your operation and your breeding program um, and utilize that. And that's going to vary some from operation to operation. So in short, uh, you know, the stigma that surrounds some some production oriented or NSIP specific sheep, uh, you know, that they're ugly. They don't have to be. No, they don't have to be. I, I've seen you know, a number of NSIP sheep that that I could, you know, sit down and out in that pasture and look at all day long. Um, you know, there's some really nice looking sheep out there that have, you know, tremendous EBVs at the same time. Um, and so I think it's possible, um, you're, you, you know, you're not necessarily going to do that in one generation. Um, you know, it might take several years of breeding and selection um, to, to identify and to produce those types of sheep. Um, but I think it is possible. So we can't just close our eyes and, and pick them out sitting at the kitchen table off a piece of paper. No, I think we need to remember too, that we can have, we can have that Ram that's the top 1% for, for multiple traits. And if his feet and legs aren't right, if his mouth isn't right, um, if his scrotal development um, and semen quality isn't good, uh, he's not going to breed a single ewe. Uh, and so while he may have elite genetic merit, he's never going to pass that on because he doesn't have uh, the structural attributes that would allow him uh, to be an effective breeder. Uh, so we need to keep those, those types of things in mind as well. Um, just because they have elite numbers uh, doesn't mean we can ignore um, you know, those sheep that, that have, you know, incorrect mouth structure that um, can't get around well um, or have incorrect, you know, scrotal development. Um, those types of production traits uh, we need to be mindful of uh, in addition to finding those sheep that have the, those elite EBVs. But this has been great, and I'm really looking forward to the kind of the next episodes we've got coming with individual traits and kind of what they are and how we, how we can utilize them to improve production there in the flock and, and on the farm. Well, we're coming up on the time here. So Andrew, we definitely thank you for being here and uh, we're going to get you on for some future podcasts and uh, dive more into these EBVs. Uh, so we thank you for listening to the grazing sheep podcast. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can at uh, big Tom Perkins at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. We'd love for you to get on there and, uh, and, hit that like button and the follow button and uh, you can drop some questions in there if you'd like to as well. So be good catching up with you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, look forward to joining you next time. And uh, it's always a great discussion. All right. And we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. <laughs>